Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut. I went keto in 2016 to reverse diabetes and lose weight. It's my mission to spread the science of keto and to show the world how cooking is necessary for keto success. Oh yeah, and bacon. Bacon! <laughs> oh, hi. I'm Carrie Brown, and I also live in Connecticut, just down the road to Carl. I'm a trained pastry chef who went keto to control and eventually eliminate symptoms from bipolar 2 disorder and depression. I take no medications, I have no symptoms, and it's my mission to prove to the world that keto food can be more delicious than any other food you've eaten. And this show is a document of our experiences thriving for years in nutritional ketosis. And also our experiences reversing diabetes and depression and feeling better than we ever have before. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. We don't give medical advice because we're not doctors. Although I am pretty good at doctoring up food to make it taste scrumptious. <laughs> yeah, we just want to share our experiences and review the research that supports it. Oh, and lamb chops. I love lamb chops. We share our recipes and any science we find in the show notes. This is a science-based show. Carl brings the body science and I bring the food science because cooking, and especially baking, is pure science. So let's start podcast number 158, Carnivore Physiology with Amber O'Hearn. Firstly, do we have any apologies or corrections from last week's show? That was 157, Emotional Eating with Renee Jones. Uh, no, nobody called us out on anything or called out Renee, so I think we, uh, I think that's smooth sailing. And we had lots of positive comments on social media. People really loved that episode. It resonated with a lot of people, sure so did. hopefully that will be helpful. Yep. Now, before we dive into this week's topic, let's explain in plain English what a ketogenic diet is. Sure. That's any diet that puts you into a state of ketosis where you burn fat for energy rather than glucose. And the way we did it was to limit our carbohydrates to 20 grams or less every day, enjoy a moderate amount of protein, one to one and a half grams per kilogram of lean body mass, and all our energy comes from fat. Fat! Really? <laughs> yeah, fat. And if you're just starting, listen to our starting keto show at start.2keto.com. Well, Carrie, what's up? What's new? What's good? What are you well, up to? Well, it's been a crazy week. I mentioned last week that the lovely Kim Houghton and I were launching a program called Happy Healthy Keto. Yeah. And so this whole week has been consumed with getting that show on the road. And we did. And so enrollment has now closed, but the people in the group are incredibly excited. The enthusiasm for a healthier, funner, tastier life is palpable. So that's that's been the big thing for me this week. But of course, I'm also right now getting ready for a road trip. To Denver. Denver, heading off to Boulder. And of course, I'm driving because why would I fly if I could drive? Mm. Um, and, and taking parcels to Mr. Morris, who's going right. to be there, and uh, taking half of Carl's Kitchen, apparently, too, <laughs> in my car. Super excited to see all the people in Colorado. Yeah. And the other thing that's happened, the other thing that's happened is 
Snow! Finally, winter has arrived in my little forest in the middle of nowhere, Connecticut. So that was super exciting. So now you have seen snow before, right? Thus far this winter, I've had maybe an inch. But I mean, before moving to Connecticut, you've obviously experienced the snow. when, When I lived in Seattle, it's kind of the irony is not lost on me. When I lived in Seattle, everyone told me I was crazy for moving to Connecticut because, quote, the winters are brutal. Right. And then I come here and I've had maybe an inch of snow the whole winter and there's Seattle buried like seven days of snow days in a row and more snow than they know what to do with. Right. And now that it's March, all the snow comes to Connecticut. Just (laughs) weird. So hopefully I'm going to be driving against the snow and by the time I get to Colorado, it'll be good. Yeah. How about you? What did your week look like? I know you had a pretty exciting week. I did. I was in Porto, Portugal. Um, Great place to eat and drink wine. And uh, I saw some pictures and um, yeah. i got to say, Portugal sounded like a great place to be. It's not only great, but it's affordable. So I went to this local grocery store and I got these packages of Hamon Iberico, 18-month aged pork with a huge fat cap on it and sliced thin, like just like prosciutto, but the best you've ever tasted ever. And so soft, it's it just melts in your mouth. Wow. So that was great. And, and you could get a really decent, and I'm talking about not amazing, but a decent bottle of wine for about... at the grocery store. For all the time I lived over in England, I never made it to Portugal. Spain several Mm. times, but never in France, but never Portugal. So maybe I need to put that on my list. Yeah, I think anyone who's going to spend any time in Europe, uh, if you're you're keto and you're a foodie, go to Porto. Um, This place also has a, a fishing district where you can get amazing fresh fish grilled over charcoal and grills that are like right on the street. So they move the grill out to the sidewalk and they have all the fresh fish sort of in the window on ice. And you pick what you want and they, you know, they take it in the back and get it ready, bring it out to the street, grill it, salt, pepper, olive oil, bring it back to you. It's just doesn't get any fresher. I've heard that the sardines, the fresh sardines in Portugal are just like Yes. The bomb. Yep. So. Yeah, they are. Now I want to go to Portugal. Yeah, maybe we'll do a Keto Fest there someday. And speaking of Keto Fest, we had a delay in the Kickstarter. And uh, I apologize to everybody about this, but um, they wanted to take three or four days to review the Kickstarter. And in doing that, they denied it because we mentioned alcohol, because we mentioned wine tastings. And this hasn't been a problem the last two years. But we're playing along, so I'm re-editing the video, resubmitting it. So by now, it should be up, I'm hoping. But it could be Monday or Tuesday. I don't know. We're, just keep watching KetoFest.com. Keep watching social media. Any day now, we'll get this going. And you do want to watch it, because I tell you, that video makes me laugh out loud it's every funny. time I see it. All right, well, let's give away a Two Keto Dudes coffee mug to a lucky member of the Two Keto Dudes fan club. And, of course, the new mugs have Carrie's mug on them, not Richard's, so anyone who has an old one has a collector's item. So my Two Keto Dudes mug arrived yesterday. Yay! And I 
I laughed out loud right there in the in the UPS store. I laughed out <laughs> loud because it's just funny. And yeah, and I funny. I got a shopping tote too with our heads on and their heads are enormous. And I'm like, am I really going to be able to take <laughs> this to the store? But we'll see. When I'm having a brave extrovert moment, I might take it to the store. But anyway, so yeah, I got mine. When they ask you for your ID, you'll just hold up the bag. Do you yeah, know who right? I am? <laughs> so who else is going to get a lovely Two Keto Dudes mug this week, Carl? Well, today's winner is Kristen Augustine. Yay, Kristen! Congratulations. And if you don't want to wait to win a coffee mug, you can get one online at gear.2keto.com. Right. All right, Carrie. You know what time it is now. You know what we're going to read. I do. Right? What are we going to read? And you, you know what? We're going to read a letter. Because I've had requests on the forum to hold my ground. Really? On the whole male thing. Don't bend to peer pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, they're, they're all like, no, Carrie, stand your ground. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, let's, uh, let's read some mail. No All right, so this is from the forum. By the way, the forums have been moved over the last week to uh, Nick Mailer's organization. We love Nick Mailer. And that's an interesting name for the place where our letters are now stored. Nick Mailer. Yes, that's right. Nick agreed to um, host the ketogenic forums um, before they were... I won't say they were breaking the bank, but it was clearly a big expense. So Nick was able to really reduce our expenses on uh, hosting the forum. So thank you, Nick, and thanks to everybody at uh, Discourse who helped us get that going. We love Nick, and we're excited to see Nick in Colorado. Yep. So this is from the newbies section from Renew, R-E-N-U. And Renew says, something is wrong, advice please. Hi, all. I love this form. I'm new to keto around seven weeks, fat adapted. That's what I think. I'm usually not hungry and have only one meal a day, eggs, veggies, and cheese mostly. Rest of the day, I have black coffee, tea, and lemon water with salt. For exercise, I just walk around seven to eight kilometers per day. I've lost inches and around seven kilos. I'm in happy space and feel good, but generally not energetic. I'm getting irritated very easily and don't like being active. I take thyroid, 50 milligrams. I, I guess that's a, a medication for a thyroid condition, but I'm not sure which one. Also, metformin, 1,000 milligrams, and a multivitamin tablet every day. My doc says I'm still not in condition to stop my medication. My A1C has dropped from 6.2 to 5.4. Well, that sounds great. That's awesome. Yeah. My TSH has dropped from 3.8 to 1.9. Well done. And that is in three months of time. Please advise what I'm doing wrong. And uh, you can read there's a whole bunch of replies there. And everybody kind of agrees, and, and I do too, to some extent, that this person might not be eating enough and or not eating enough meat in particular because they say eggs, veggies, and cheese mostly. And um, I, I would say, you know, uh, you're probably not, completely fat adapted yet and you might want to up the fat a little bit but nobody mentioned salt and we don't really know how much salt this person is taking when you don't have enough energy 
it can be, you know, when you're first starting, it can be a couple of things. It can be that your body just isn't able to get all the energy that it can from available fat. And or you're not having enough salt. If you, if you kind of feel sluggish, you might need to up your salt. So, I mean, you can easily test this just by eating a pat of butter and seeing what happens to your immediate feeling. Butter is essentially fat and salt. So if you're feeling sluggish, have a pat of butter, and if that doesn't make you feel better almost immediately, you know, at least in the next 15 minutes, 20 minutes or so, then it's probably not either of those things. So it's a good test. But also remember that, that healing and weight loss is not linear. Yes. And it kind of, you know, you go through peaks of troughs, you go through times where your body kind of feels like everything's kind of on hold. Yep. But things are changing inside, but you don't always see the results immediately. Yeah. So if that may be you, just give your body a chance to heal in its own time and just trust in the process and yep. know that over time you will get where you want to be. In other words... Keep calm and keto on. Keep calm and keto on. <laughs> but it's definitely worth, you know, doing some tests and taking some telemetry. Your blood sugar looks great. You know, um, I think it's just uh, maybe experimenting with electrolytes and fat and see how that makes you feel. Very good. All right. Well, now it's time for the interview. And uh, on the line with us right now is our good friend, L. Amber O'Hearn. Hi, Amber. Hi there. Nice to hear you. Hello. Hello, Carrie. I'm fangirling from Connecticut. <laughs> I'm fangirling right back. I got to tell you that you have uh, sort of risen to celebrity status as of late because I consider you one of the first people I've ever talked to that went strict carnivore and, you know, was was talking about it, blogging about it. Long before all the hip kids were doing it, now it seems like carnivore is like this huge thing, not just in the keto community, isn't it? I mean, what happened here? It blew up. <laughs> it's hard to tell what happened. I mean, yeah, so sometimes it seems like, you know, when you're a teenager and you have a favorite band and then suddenly something happens and it becomes popular and, and all of a sudden you're left wondering how this obscure thing that you were all nerdy about is suddenly really popular. I feel a bit like that. Are you talking about Kurt Cobain? Are you talking about, <laughs> are we talking about Nirvana here? <laughs> well, actually I'm thinking about the doors oh. in, the, in the late eighties. I was, I was a big doors fan and a movie came out and suddenly everyone was, and I didn't know yeah. what to think, <laughs> but I'm sure we all have one. Right. Um, yeah. And you know, it's, it's interesting because over the last couple of years, I've tried to imagine what were the factors that put it over the edge. And I could certainly name some prominent people who've had a great impact. But on the other hand, I think, you know, sometimes there's something that's just bubbling in the background. And when it comes to prominence, it seems like it was sudden, but really there was a lot of momentum going on sure. behind the scenes. Sure. I think um, it, what's great about this is that if you, if there's one category of food that humans can eat and be healthy on, it's meat. You can't really say that about vegetables. You can't say that about grains. You can't say that about carbohydrates. 
Isn't it true? I mean, if you really want to do a, an elimination diet, you know, the first place to start is just by eating only meats, isn't it? Sure. Well, meat is, it's not optional. <laughs> mm. I mean, nowadays you could, you could get by with certain products where you've tried to replace all the essential nutrients, but until very recently, that would have been really impossible because right. there are just so many nutrients in meat that we need that we evolved a need for because we evolved eating meat. And plants plants come and go and they're all different. And so that's why if you're following a plant-based diet, you have this mantra of balance, right? Like you have to make sure that you're not getting too much of one kind of thing or not enough of another kind of thing. And you yeah. have to carefully plan your diet to make sure that you're getting all your nutrient needs met. Right. And meat just isn't that way. Carrie, do you have a question? Because I could just talk to Amber for hours. <laughs> I I do. And, I'm, and I've forewarned both of you that I'm going to be the devil's advocate and you'll know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, what does Amber think about why I feel better when I have some level of green vegetation in my diet? I, and I, I've, I've tried carnivore and I, and I know other people who have tried carnivore and didn't feel so good. And so they've, they've gone back to keto as opposed to carnivore. What, what are your thoughts around why it doesn't work brilliantly for everybody? Why I might feel better with some level of vegetation? Just, just what are your thoughts about that? Well, actually, Carrie, I, I couldn't have anticipated that question because <laughs> I, I actually don't hear that very often. Um, and I don't know what it could specifically be. I definitely don't think that everyone needs to exclude plants from their diet. And there could be some energetic reason or digestive reason why your body is more attuned to getting some amount of fiber or, um, gosh, I don't know. I, I can't think of a nutrient that you would need. So... I don't know what that could be. Maybe you could tell me more about what you mean by feeling better. I have more energy. My my gut works better. I have a just a better sense about everything when I eat some level of it's just a I mean it's not even anything something really specific. I just have a general generally better feeling of well-being when I'm eating some level of vegetables. Um, I, d I don't know that I can describe it any more specifically than that. It's just a general feeling. Things definitely, my body functions better when I have some level of, of vegetation going in. Carrie, could it be as simple as magnesium, you know, which is in every green leafy vegetable and a lot of people don't get enough magnesium? Well, I do. I do supplement with magnesium. You do, um, regardless of whether I'm eating meat or veg, and that mm. hasn't seemed to have made a difference. Interesting. Oh, that is interesting. Uh, the electrolyte issue is very interesting to me because I think that well, plants definitely do have different levels of, for example, potassium and magnesium. And if you are, for example, eating your meat with a lot of salt. Um, or if you are cooking it in such a way that you're losing some of the electrolytes, then you could get yourself into an imbalance that 
is potentially corrected when you change things up. You may or may not have heard that um, I started, I feel like I have started the whole keto diet all over again. And what I did was I cut out cheese and cream. And I started, (laughs) yeah, it's like I started losing weight. My blood sugar is never over 100, even in the morning. Um, It's never even over like 95. Uh, And uh, I feel like I've just started it again. Um, I'm getting a rash. Like, it's weird. Uh, Oh, you're having keto adaptation symptoms, you mean? Yeah, right. And I did this like two and a half, three years ago, right? I'm it's all it's all happening all over again. But what I am eating mostly is chicken liver and a pate made with chicken liver and butter that Julie Fox McClure makes. And I'm I'm eating that so I'm not carnivore, but because I'm eating it on, you know, her Fox Hill kitchen toasted bagel holes. Right. And and this is with every meal. And literally that fills me up so much that I don't I end up eat, not eating, having to eat a lot more protein. But if I do, you know, it's a it's a fatty meat or a steak. And I even eat tomato sauce. Like I've been living on my tapas meatballs for the last week or so, which are lamb, beef, and pork with some pork rinds in it and even, even a little bit of Monterey Jack cheese, but not a whole lot. And then like a, a buttered down version of Rayo's sauce with some tarragon and some stuff in it. So it's not like I've been uh, carnivore, but it just seems like cutting out cheese and and cream made this magical transformation in my body. And it's like happening all over again. So Amber, I'm curious if you know, because you've done so much research into so many things, um, w- why would heavy cream be a problem but not butter because it sounds like you're still eating the butter oh yeah because you're eating it in the liver pate but heavy creams are no no but 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 butter is essentially heavy cream that's been whipped until it becomes butter so what's but the the... Pro- the protein comes out and separates with, with the cream that's what buttermilk is it's the whey and the protein whereas uh, in it in the but what's left is just almost pure fat right so that, that so that's my my question is like like i'm endlessly trying to figure out okay what is it then that's actually causing the problem for carl and if it's the if it's the way like what is it about the way that's in cheese and heavy cream that you know it's not the fat because he's still eating the fat in the form of butter so what's that kind of mechanism do you have any insight into the whole why way is just problematic Well, casein is often something that people have an intolerance to. And in fact, casein is (laughs) the whole basis, I think, uh, if I remember correctly, Colin Campbell, who is adamantly against animal protein, did all of his studies on animal protein on casein in particular, and then generalized it to all animal protein, which is obviously you know, not a fair generalization, but it, it may well be the case that many people have problems with casein, that it could be, um, inflammatory in some people, Mm. uh, that it could, it could exacerbate intestinal permeability and cause, um, inflammation that way. We know that there's some connection between casein and opioids that could be having some kind of 
addictive or other strange interesting effect. I got to tell you, I feel like I was addicted to cheese. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Oh, cheese and yogurt for me are particularly addictive. And I do think they cause me to overeat. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm eating it as a response to the craving, not as a response to hunger. I have right. specific memories of having cheese and then going back to the fridge and there's all this beautiful meat in my fridge and I have no interest in it whatsoever. All I want is more cheese. And if there isn't more cheese, I'm not hungry. Interesting. That's exactly <laughs> how I felt. So you do limit cheese yourself? You find that you have to go easy on it? Well, I have this um, unfortunate <laughs> problem where I don't think cheese actually affects my mood. And mm. so I sort of let myself get away with it more. And yeah, it's... It's honestly a constant struggle. I will go into, I'll, I'll have a period where I've taken most of the dairy out of my life. A little bit of cream seems to be okay for me, hmm. but all it really takes is one meal and it starts that whole cycle again and it may be weeks before I eliminate it again. So I want to get back to something that you talked about in your Keto Fest uh, talk last year and even the year before, which is sort of the evolution of, of humans and what was the big change in our physiology that allowed us to become so intelligent and, you know, start the civilization process? Well, our brains are definitely the most magnificent feature that we have that differentiates us from the other great apes. But besides that, one of the major things that's different, if you look at us physiologically, besides our bizarre hairlessness, is hmm. the reduced gut capacity that we have. Hmm. And many people think that, the, that these are intimately connected, that we, we needed to have energy and nutrients for, in order to enable our brains to grow. And... In order to be able to get those, we had to abandon this strategy that herbivores have where they're basically eating low-quality food. And by low-quality, I, I don't mean it as you know a judgment exactly. I just mean food that you have to eat a lot of and do a lot of conversions on in order to get nutrition out of. And so I'm talking about fiber. Yeah. If you imagine... Like the canonical herbivore would be a ruminant like a cow mm. who you they graze, they eat all day, mm. and they have to do that because the food that they're eating is so nutrient poor mm. that they have to process it. And in fact, they can't really process it with their own physiology. They process it by hosting microbes in their gut that are turning that fiber into fat. So fat is where they get most of their energy. All mammals get most of their energy from fat, not glucose. Well, maybe some certain types of bats, fruit bats, maybe they get more out of glucose. But the canonical mammal is a fat-based metabolism. Mm. And we used to be that way too when our guts had what they had the capacity like a uh, a gorilla still does or a chimpanzee still does to convert a lot of fiber into fat. So when you think about um, a chimpanzee, for example, being a fruit eater, 
it's not really that their fruit that they're eating in the wild is high in fructose and they're getting all this glucose and that's how they or fructose and glucose and, and using that for energy. But it's really that the fruit that they're eating is mostly fiber. And so as our brain was growing, our gut was shrinking and that meant that the capacity for us to turn all this fiber into fat was was waning and and basically the only plausible way that this could have happened is if we were getting high energy food high nutrient density food directly and that would have come from meat and i think especially we may have started as scavengers where we were coming in after the large carnivores hmm. and getting access to the fat that was in the inside the bones the marrow and hmm. the skull which is extremely nutrient dense um, brain organ and and fat and then some of the protein that might have been left behind. Mm. The viscera. Yes. Yeah, like I, I'm I'm just just from my own experience in these last couple of weeks, this like liver is a superfood for me. Chicken liver. Uh, I'll say it again. It's it's amazing. I've had a bit of a liver binge this week. Oh, nice. I've been. I've had. Three days where I basically ate carbs, liver, and drank bone broth. Wow. How do you feel? Uh, I, I, I feel fine, but I don't really feel any different, which yeah. was disappointing, but there it is. It's extremely nutrient-dense, and I think self-limiting in a way that even protein isn't. We, we sometimes talk about protein having special satiety ability and and I think that's true to an extent yeah but it's not the only thing that we're hungry for and if you fulfill your nutrient needs then I think that can well <laughs> two things could happen <laughs> I can think of plausible explanations for two different reactions one is your body says oh my gosh there's available nutrients let's have as much as we possibly can mm. um, and and creating a kind of uh, excess hunger, but then I think once your body it gets what it needs, then it also will should settle down your appetite. And like you said, Carl, you're saying that your satiety is is greatly enhanced by the liver that you're eating. And it's like half liver, half butter, right? I mean, it's not just liver; oh. it's really <laughs> effing delicious. <laughs> That sounds amazing. So, so Amber, you, I believe you started with carnivore, at least in part for your brain health, yes? No, I had no idea it was going to help my brain health. It was a totally a vanity move. Oh, okay. So it was the other way around. <laughs> a vanity move? Yeah. I, uh, I'd been on a low carb diet for a long time and, and it had initially more or less solved my weight problem but over the course of a decade my weight had crept back up and it didn't seem to be really carb creep um there are many different ideas i've thought of since then maybe it had to do with antidepressants maybe it had to do with the pregnancies and or aging but in any case i found myself uh really more overweight than i'd ever been and still on a low carb diet and hmm. not sure what to do. Mm. It was very frustrating. And I had come across people eating 
a plant-free diet and being in a situation like mine where a low-carb diet wasn't getting them to where they wanted to go mm. and having great success. So I thought, well, I could try that for a little while and just kind of, you know, in the in the best case, it'll take all this excess weight off and then I can go back to my regular low-carb diet and maintain it. Mm. Um, but then, of course, I found that the mood-enhancing effects were incredible and not it would have been irresponsible to stop yeah. <laughs> once I discovered it. Yeah, yeah. So, so once you discovered it, I'm I'm curious. Did you once you went carnivore and and you found all these benefits, especially to your your brain health and your depression? Did you ever kind of do a test to go backwards? Like, did you ever go back to low carb to see what would happen? And if you did. How long did it take for your your brain to go sideways for you to realize, hey, you know what, I carnivore is need, where I need to be forever? Well, there was an, immediately after I discovered it, it w within a month, I became or I noticed that I was pregnant <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't stay carnivorous during the pregnancy. And that wasn't because I was worried about the effect on the baby. It was more because, well, one, I was having a lot of trouble with nausea and was trying to just eat whatever I could keep down. Mm. But second, I had enormous insulin-related, I'm sure, cravings um, in order to gain fat. That's a normal process when you get pregnant is your insulin surges, your insulin sensitivity picks up, and you and you try to get fat. Um, so I did return to a non-carnivorous diet quite soon after I discovered it. Mm. But I, I can't be sure that the craziness um, in mood that I experienced wasn't related to the hormones of pregnancy. So definitely not a, a mm. pure test there. But that was your first child, right? On your second child, you were carnivore, right? Third. Oh, third. Yeah. And you weaned him on meat, right? I did, yeah. Such a great story. Yeah. I uh, love that child. So uh, so you haven't ever, when you've not been pregnant or nursing, you've never tried to go back to low carb to see how long it takes your brain to go sideways? No, I haven't. Um, I've had a couple of experiences with supplements that have either slowly as in within about a week or two weeks maybe or immediately within a couple of hours have impacted my brain. Um, so an example of something that really screwed up my mood immediately was uh, I tried making psyllium. Editor's note, Amber said psyllium right there. At the time I was thinking... You know, all this time, as soon as I discovered it, I, I just can't let go of wondering why, what's happening, what's what's the cause that would make such a difference between low-carb with vegetables and low-carb without. And for a long time, I was thinking about the effects of the, you know, the biochemical warfare aspect of plants where mm. the, the, they actually have, you know, pesticides or other chemical toxins in order to not be eaten self-manufactured and so i thought well maybe if i maybe if i took pure fiber that wouldn't that wouldn't have an effect on me um so that was the idea behind taking psyllium powder my 
my idea was I would stir it into my coffee every day for a week and see if it had any effect. Um, and it basically the, the very first day had an extreme effect, wow. uh, an extreme mental effect. I started not being able to focus. First of all, I felt like I was, I was at work. I was trying to do some data science analysis. I couldn't focus. It seemed like I couldn't decide what input to pay attention to and what not. Everything was like noise. Wow. All, all, everything was vying for my attention. And then I went outside to take a break and I sat in my car and I had this breakdown where I was just sobbing for 20 minutes or half an hour. And eventually I just decided to go home. Now, I'd been thinking about that as just pure fiber and no bioactive chemicals. But then later thinking back, psyllium is the husk of a seed and and seeds have the most the most toxins because that's the where the plant needs to most protect so maybe that mm. was just really ill conceived in the first place wow uh, it just you know one recurring theme in the two keto dudes uh catalog of podcasts and talks is you have to test yourself. You have to test these foods on yourself. For me, it was cheese. For Amber, it was psyllium husk. I can eat psyllium husk. Julie's bagel holes uh, are made with psyllium husk. I don't have that issue. So, but here's the thing: you know, check your sugar after everything you eat. Check it often. If you can get a continuous glucose monitor, great. Do that. And that's what it took for me to figure out why I stalled for so long. Just you have to test foods on yourself. That's a really great point. I mean, no amount of theory really matters when it comes down to it. It's either, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to affect you or it's not. And right. And at a certain point, you have to bite the bullet and find out. So, what does because carnivore is a seemingly simple thing, but of course the carnivore community has made it complicated or the keto community has made it complicated. So there now seems to be various different ways to do carnivore. What does carnivore mean to you? What does your carnivore look like? Is it any animal products? Is it just me? Is it, does it include fish? What does, what, what does Amber's carnivore look like? You're right. It it is very simple. It's, it's simplicity incarnate, you might say. (laughs) To, To me, I just, I more or less avoid plants, but even that's not really a hard and fast rule because I drink coffee. I drink coffee every day and that's obviously a plant extract. Mm-hmm. I've been known to eat a dill pickle now and then or a square of 100% chocolate. Mm. Um, although that's kind of dropped off in recent years. Um but yes, I do eat fish. I eat eggs. Do you do that because you enjoy those things or or there's some nutritional benefit or it's just something you enjoy? What why why do you do that? Why why the chocolate? Yeah. Why why do you occasionally have chocolate? Why do you occasionally have a dill pickle? I think in the beginning those were just um things that I thought were unlikely to have a big effect and I had it I probably had a craving for them in the beginning um, mm. maybe there was a magnesium issue I know that chocolate is is supposedly a 
big source of magnesium. Um, and maybe the pickles had something to do with electrolytes mm. because it's, you know, it's not a, like I had a cucumber. I specifically wanted a pickle. Yeah. Um, and, the, and neither of those things seem to affect me the way that, for example, the psyllium did. Um, and salads send you sideways, right? I haven't tried a salad. I haven't honestly had much <laughs> craving for a salad. Yeah. And, and you know, the it's kind of a risk-cost-benefit analysis. Like, if I went back to eating salads... It might be fine, uh, especially if I took one thing at a time. Like maybe cucumber is absolutely fine for me, but the effort that it would take to figure out exactly which foods would be safe mm. just doesn't seem worth the, the cost of maybe, um, you know, having my mood compromised slowly over the course of a week and then having to figure it back out. You said something to me in a private channel on our Slack back end that when people go carnivore, because I was talking about my pasta to you and how it's all animal product, and you said, you know, when people go carnivore, they just completely lose cravings for anything that isn't meat. And and is that is that an odd experience for you, or does it feel liberating? It it's both. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I was when I was eating low carb, I, you know, I've always been a foodie and I enjoy food and, and cooking. Mm. And I got really excited when I was doing low carb food and trying to figure out all the different things that I could do that would still have all these different flavors and um, remind me of things that I used to eat and still stay low carb because I felt like carbohydrate and insulin were the the key components to why it was a healthy diet. Mm. And, and so I did do a lot of exploratory cooking with recipes when I was ketogenic. And when I, when I went to carnivore, at first it seemed a little bit boring, like maybe for a week and it seemed bland. I excluded all spices. I had been a real spice fanatic all my life, as long as I can remember. Wow. And I wasn't even doing salt. Wow. But I found that my palate actually really quickly adjusted. And yeah, cravings for anything else just seem to have gone completely away so that I don't think about food when I'm not eating. Yes. It's fascinating because when I did, when I, when uh, Dr. Ted Naiman first put me on keto, I was basically carnivore for the first three months and I did not have what you describe at all. I was, I was bored out of my brain with the food <laughs> I was eating and I kind of got sad because uh. I was so bored and I didn't feel the, the magic that you describe either. So this is just fascinating to me that that two people can just have a physiological re response that's so different hmm. doing essentially the same thing. <laughs> so I guess there's two possibilities, Carrie. Either there's something different about us between me, me and you that make 
makes me have one response and you have another, or there's something subtly different about what we're eating that's causing differential responses that we haven't figured out. Mm. Or a combination. Yeah, and so to, to be fair, I was eating, so I had a bunch of food sensitivity tests done at the same time as I went keto, and so we layered the food sensitivity over the keto, and I ended up being able to eat duck, lamb, mm-hmm. bison, pork. <laughs> I think that was it. So that was my carnivore diet was those four meats, but I couldn't eat chicken or beef or, you know, so it was those four things. That's very interesting. So maybe there's something about those things that were different from me. But I mean, and, and it's interesting because lamb and duck particularly are so fatty mm. that they're like more flavorful than a lot of the other meats. Mm-hmm. And and yet I was literally going out of my mind with food boredom because <laughs> I love all the different tastes and textures. And I was – it got to the point where at the end of the three months, I was like, I just don't even want to eat yeah. because I'm so bored with what I'm eating. Oh, that's horrible. And, and, but you had the exact opposite response. So this is just fascinating to me. It is. It's It's – I wouldn't have predicted that because, like I said, I was an absolute foodie. I loved, like you said, the different tastes and textures. There's almost nothing that I didn't like. Um, another thing that struck me when you were describing that is it sounds very similar to Georgia Ede's description of what she can and can't eat. She also doesn't eat beef or chicken, but can eat uh, duck and lamb. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. It just, it fascinates me. But again, you know, we, we say, I think we say this every show now, Carl, is like you said earlier. Test yourself. You have to find out what works for you. Right. I mean, you know, and I, I know some people out in the community, keto community will say, you know, we're, we're all the same. We all just need to stop eating carbs or whatever. Right. But in my experience, we are all actually special snowflakes and mm. we all need to work out what <laughs> What works best for us personally? Yes, indeed. So what are you working on right now, Amber? I'm furiously working on my presentation for the carnivore conference, which is going to be about micronutrients and the RDAs. I'm so excited for that. The recommended daily allowances? Yeah. So we have these, (laughs) there was a great heyday starting about a century ago of the discovery of these elemental nutrient uh, vitamins where in, in distinction to the previous period where people were really excited about the germ theory and infection, we found out there were certain diseases that weren't caused by infections and instead were caused by, by nutrient deficiencies. And Mm. it's sort of the beginning of modern nutritional science And so then we did all this work in figuring out exactly how much of each of these nutrients a human needs. And, but the problem is there were so many assumptions baked into the RDAs that what I'll be arguing in this presentation is that when you're on a ketogenic diet or when you're on a carnivore diet in particular, a lot of those assumptions don't hold. And now we're left with questions about what the actual need really should be for a variety of nutrients. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff to unpack there, isn't there? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. 
the more I look at it, the more <laughs> the more there is, <laughs> the less we know. <laughs> sure. What are some of the things that you've figured out so far, if you don't mind? Well, uh, a lot of the... <laughs> I don't know where to start. <laughs> there, there are so many different components to it. But for example, um, you can look at nutrient interactions. So there are some things, especially components of a high-carb grain-based diet that actually interfere with nutrition, that as soon as you take them away, the, the um, amount that you n- need seems to be much less. So a good example of that might be zinc, where the the phytates and the fiber from grain are so disruptive to the absorption of zinc that um, I I don't even know where what the level of zinc would be when you take those out. Hmm. I saw one estimate in the Institute of Medicine literature where it said the difference between <laughs> a standard diet, which is already a grain-based diet, mm. and a vegetarian diet in terms of zinc need would be that they might need 50% more. Wow. And so if you imagine going onto a low-carb diet, how much the differential might be. I think it's just astounding. Vitamin C is another one that I typically think of. You know, people talk about, you have to take your antioxidants, your antioxidants. And I think to myself, well, why do I need antioxidants when I'm not oxidized? (laughs) Right? My inflammation is so low, I don't have that problem. So I don't need to take all this stuff. That's true. And vitamin C, vitamin C is a favorite of mine because it's not, it's not even just theoretical we have these observations where you go back into the 1800s even and people already knew that if you were an arctic explorer and you started to develop signs of scurvy fresh meat would cure it fresh Mm. meat like Mm. yes limes will do it too (laughs) but (laughs) we knew that meat had this special property and they weren't even on a ketogenic diet so there's like you said, you're right. There's this sparing effect of the the antioxidant, where if if you're not creating all this oxidation in the first place, or if you have other endogenous antioxidants because you're on a low carb diet, that definitely will have a sparing effect on that part of the vitamin C need. Mm. But vitamin C is also needed for just the construction of collagen. Right. Um, one of the things that I learned very recently was that. It also is needed for synthesizing carnitine. And carnitine is intimately related to fat oxidation. If you don't have carnitine, you can't get fat into your mitochondria to burn it. And Hmm. so even on a high-carb diet, you need fat. You need energy from fat. And so the, the first symptom of scurvy long before your teeth start falling out is just severe fatigue and weakness Mm. and that's because you need the vitamin c to to build carnitine well you can also just get carnitine from eating meat (laughs) so there's a really direct kind of sparing activity in meat that you don't even have to be low carb to benefit from Um, so uh, these studies where you you've depleted someone of vitamin C to try to figure out how much they need to prevent scurvy. If you don't have a high level of red meat in your diet, 
um, that's you're going to get a completely different result than if you do. I noticed that Peter Frampton, you know who he is. Everybody knows who Peter Musician? Frampton is. Yeah. Yeah. He's doing a farewell tour. And he, the reason is he's developed um, inclusion body myositis, or IBM for short, which he claims the, the doctors tell him there's no cure for, but it's an inflammatory disease. And when I looked it up, it's related to Alzheimer's. And there are people who are doing studies with a ketogenic diet to control this disease. And so I tweeted him and I said, dude, you got to look into the keto diet, man. You can keep playing maybe, you know, try this. Um, do you know anything about this or maybe even just back it down to Alzheimer's? I don't. But if you call it an inflammatory disease, that sounds to me like it means an autoimmune disease. Uh, so if it's if it's an autoimmune disease or an inflammatory disease, it seems like a ketogenic diet or a carnivore diet are very strong candidates for um, for treatment. And there are many diseases that are being called completely incurable that I've seen countless people put into remission. So, you know, I don't want to say that the keto diet or the carnivore diet is a panacea. But, but you should at least try it. I mean... <laughs> well, the risk's very low, That's isn't it? Low. And the benefit yeah. is potentially being able to play music. I mean, all right. So if you want no... Peter Frampton to continue to uh, to <laughs> grace us with great music, tweet him, people. Tell him to get on it. Couldn't hurt. And, and tell him he should hire me as his personal chef. <laughs> so another oddity with my carnivore journey versus yours and, and some of these studies is that after the first three months when Dr. Naiman had me on my basically carnivore diet of, of lamb, bison, pork, and duck, I had a range of blood tests and all of the levels of vitamins and minerals in my blood were tested. Other than B vitamins, which of course we knew was going to be low because I have MTHFR, the only other thing that was that I had a deficiency in was vitamin C. Wow. Interesting. Right? Uh, it must have been a pretty severe deficiency to show up in a blood test. So am I, am I just like this weird unicorn person for which nothing applies? Or? <laughs> well, you know, maybe you've just, you've got some kind of damage going on that's making everything harder. It uh, could be. And I find I'm one of those people that find that, that when I'm sick, if I superdose on vitamin C, everything gets much better much more quickly. But there's a lot of people that find no benefit from doing that, but I certainly do. So I don't know, maybe there's just something about me. But yeah, when I was carnivore for three months, vitamin C was, was the thing that was missing when I had all my blood tests at the end of it. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. So then Carrie, did you try continuing with a carnivore or carnivore-like diet with supplementation of vitamin C in addition? Um, not, not specifically, because back then, and this was in July, uh, September 2015, of course, I hadn't really heard of carnivore because it wasn't this huge big thing then. Mm. And right. the, the mainstream keto at that point would tell you that um, 
you you would gonna be deficient in vitamin C. So that made sense to me. I was like, oh, okay, I'm normal. Well, now I'm finding out that not so much because vitamin C isn't actually a problem. It mm. just was for me. But at the cur- at the time, the current thinking was, yeah, you need to supplement with vitamin C. Mm. Right. Wow. Well, I know we could go on talking for hours and hours, but we do have a time constraint here. So um, what's next for you? What's in your wheelhouse after the carnivore conference? Uh, Well, I will be speaking at a couple more conferences over the summer. Um, uh, The next one will be in Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be talking about uh, different measures of dietary quality and maybe about specific nutrients that you can only get in meat you know Mm. uh, the plant-based community often talks about special compounds in plants that they would like to call nutrients but they don't really have nutrient status because they aren't there's no deficiency nothing seems to happen if you don't get them but they might have some kind of pharmacological effect so phyto phytochemicals or phytonutrients as they like to call them now. Hmm. So I wanted to come back with um, the same kind of things, but from an animal-based perspective, uh, kinds of nutrients that uh, perhaps there isn't a complete uh, essentiality to them, but adding more of them in your diet can be beneficial. Hmm. And so I'm thinking of things like carnitine as I already mentioned, but mm-hmm. also carnosine, which is a big antioxidant, taurine, which is considered conditionally essential because we can make it, but maybe we can't quite make enough. And it has benefits on, on a number of different processes in the body. Mm-hmm. So um, that's the direction that I'm turning with the whole micronutrient theme that I'm running with this year. That's great. And um, a talk at Keto Fest, I'm sure, is in the works. I would love to speak at Keto Fest. We um, would love to have you. <laughs> fantastic. Uh, what I have in mind for Keto Fest is talking about what can, we can, what we can, and what we can't deduce from all of these self experiments. You mm. know, people criticize anecdotes. Yeah, they say. You, that's just an anecdote and you can't learn anything from it. But that's that's absolutely not true. There right. are certain things that anecdotes are very good for and other things that they're obviously not very good for. And so sure. I want to talk about that and salvage the, the poor, underappreciated anecdote. Yeah. It all comes down to testing yourself. Well, I, sh- I shall be fangirling from the front row for that Absolutely. one. Absolutely. <laughs> Fantastic. Amber, it's been a delight talking to you as always. Thank you. Thank you so much. Very good. It's always good to talk to Amber, and I can't wait to hang out this week in Denver. I'm super excited to get a chance to spend some time with her this coming week. Yep. Okay, Carrie, it's time for your recipe. Recipe. My recipe. 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 <laughs> recipe. Heard you say you're due for a little. All right. So we have another fast, simple, super tasty one pan recipe. Okay. 
because who doesn't love tasty food that takes 10 minutes to sling together on a school night? Yeah, right. So this is called creamed chicken and cabbage casserole. And if you think you don't like cabbage, you might want to just give this a try and discover that it's not the cabbage, it's the way it was prepared that meant that you thought you didn't like it up to now. So the link, of course, will be in the show notes. So you can go look at pictures to see what it looks like. And you can also get the ingredients list and not have to worry about writing it down now. But I'll take you through it real quick. And it literally takes 20 minutes, start to finish. Mm -hmm. So very fast. You're going to need a tablespoon of avocado or coconut oil. You're going to need eight ounces of leeks. If you mm. haven't tried leeks, I believe they are the finest vegetable on earth. And they're so, also less carby than onions, right? And less carby than onions. So leeks are delicious. I absolutely love them. They're my favorite green thing. And by so, the way, especially if you f- julienne them really thin and fry them. Oh, yep. my, 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 my. They're like onion rings, onion strings. Yep. So, but these you're going to kind of melt them not make them crispy but you're going to want eight ounces of leeks and you're going to slice them really finely you're just going to want some sea salt and ground black pepper Mm -hmm. you're going to want 10 ounces of cabbage which you want very finely shredded and Mm. yay you can buy pre-shredded cabbage at the store which makes this even faster to toss together awesome you're going to need a pound of cooked chicken and you know places like trader joe's here in the states you can get cooked chicken pieces or in the freezer section which is just chicken but it's been cooked and it's already in pieces again yeah if you don't have time and i know a lot of us are so busy that we really don't you can buy that ready done and just sling it in the pan you're going to want a tablespoon of fresh rosemary that's been finely chopped you're going to need a quarter a cup of heavy cream two ounces of cream cheese and an ounce of cheddar cheese which you have grated Hmm. you are going to heat the avocado or coconut oil in a large pan over medium heat you're going to add the leeks salt and pepper and saute for five minutes you're going to add the shredded cabbage stir it well and saute for another five minutes then you're going to add the cooked chicken pieces the fresh rosemary the cream the cream cheese to the pan mm. and stir well until the cream cheese has completely melted and is coating the chicken and veggies then you're going to spoon it into a casserole dish cover with the grated cheese and broil or grill if you're not in America until it's golden brown and that's it super simple super fast and really really tasty sounds delicious If you want a dairy-free version, you can just swap out the heavy cream for your favorite nut milk. Then leave out the cream cheese and instead add half a cup of thick coconut milk instead. You're also going to then want to get half a teaspoon of konjac flour or glucomannan powder and gently sprinkle it over the surface of the food while you're stirring to incorporate it. Heat it for a couple of minutes to let the mixture thicken. And then obviously don't put the grated cheddar on top. 
Um, it will be almost as delicious. It just won't have the extra cheese. The konjac flair, of course, is what makes it thick because we don't have the cream cheese in mm. there. So that's creamed chicken and cabbage casserole, dairy version or non-dairy version. And I hope you find 15 minutes to whip it up this week and enjoy. Sounds lovely. Well, uh, that's a show. If you have anything you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something that you don't agree with, some more research that you've found to support or refute anything we've said, send it by email to dudes at twoketodudes.com. And you can follow us on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Two Keto Dudes. Make sure to use the hashtag Two Keto Dudes. And of course, if you want to join the free ketogenic forum, it's forum.2keto.com. And you can have a look around the forum without needing to create an account by starting with success.2keto.com. Also, check out our Facebook group, The Keto Kitchen, with me, Carrie Brown, and Carl Franklin, yep. if Facebook is your thing. Mm-hmm. If you feel like supporting our forums and all the podcasts we produce, please consider making a monthly pledge on our Patreon page at patreon.2keto.com. And if you pledge $20 or more per month, you will have access to an exclusive Facebook group, Two Keto Dudes Gold. Yeah, and you can also see our podcasts and other videos on YouTube at youtube.2keto.com. And if you haven't already, please go leave a review on Apple Podcasts because that's how new people get to know about what we do. Two Keto Dudes is brought to you by Two Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications. Carrie, keep calm and keto on. Keep calm and keto on, Carl. All right, we'll see you next time on Two Two Keto Keto Dudes. Dudes.